Uh, if you're here with us again for the first time today, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, you're, you're coming in again at an exciting time in the life of our church. Uh, we've, been, we've been working through a series in the Gospel of Mark. Um, so uh, we, we preach the books of the Bible here at, at Mosaic Church. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. We'll, we'll have the text up on the screen for you. Uh, but I do want to make known that there are some Bibles out on the outside table there that are available to you for, for your keeping. Um, please uh, take one of those home and, and then bring it back next Sunday when you're with us. But if you do have a Bible, today. Uh, you can open it up to, to the gospel of Mark chapter 7. Oh, projector's out. That's all right. We're good. Well, we guess we got to figure it out for the last song. Um, Mark chapter 7. Uh, we've been, uh, the, the series the title is uh, following the way of paradox, following the right side up king in an upside down world. And so we've been looking at these different um, glimpses of Jesus's encounters with people and how he's very in, uh, counterintuitive and he's actually very countercultural and he meets us in extremely unexpected ways. And so today we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 7. He's going to talk to some religious people. So he's He's talking to us today. Um, Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. Oh, we're back up. Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read all the way down through verse 23. So it's a, a bit of a longer uh, passage, but hang with me. I think this is important. And so let's attend to God's word this morning. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained for me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within 
and they defile a person. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come now and we gaze upon your word and we ask that you would, that you would teach us from it, that we would hear the teaching of Jesus and see how he is indeed the right side up king. And Lord, um, it's my deepest prayer that you would open hearts and minds and eyes and ears to see and to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that we would commit to following him. Lord, would the meditations of my own heart and the uh, words of my own mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's a few things that, that kind of leave impressions on us for the most of our lives. And sometimes, at least for me, one of those is our first car. Everybody remember their first car? You got it in picture? All right. Got the first car. My first car was a 1984 white Nissan Datsun pickup truck. Yeah. Yes. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with that make and model, it's a tiny little four-cylinder truck. And this truck was nothing special, but it was a good truck. I, I love this truck. It will always hold a treasured place in my heart. My parents gave me this truck my senior year, and I got to drive it. And the first thing I immediately began doing was starting to transform that truck. You had to make it a different truck, right? I, it's an 84 Nissan Datsun. You got to do some things to that. And so, you know, I put some tires on it, got some rims on it, stickers everywhere, I couldn't get that rust spot off the side, though. I, that, that gas tank rust spot, I, there was nothing I could do about it. I didn't have any money to get it painted or anything. But uh, immediately upon taking ownership of this car, I wanted to change everything about it. I wanted to change its outside and what I thought would impress other people and then ultimately change my mind about what kind of vehicle I was really driving. Well, moral of the story, it didn't really work. Um, I fooled myself for several years. I enjoyed my truck. It was a good truck, but, but it was still a 1984 Nissan Datsun. There was just no getting around it. No matter how much cosmetic and aesthetic appeal I could put on that thing, there was no changing it. Today, as we look at this passage, Jesus, in similar fashion, is going to make a fool out of how these religious people, and read you and me into that text, do the exact same thing with our lives, that we are always trying to change the aesthetic and the outside thinking that it actually brings internal change. One of the most beautiful truths about Christianity that we hope to communicate here at, at our church is that um, everything that we're after, humanity in general, without exception, is to be loved and to be accepted. And so Christianity offers us this deep love and this deep acceptance that is beyond human understanding. Because one of the most vulnerable things that could ever happen in your life, and maybe it has happened, is for somebody to know you very personally in deep, intimate ways that maybe not everybody does, and then to reject you. That will scar a person. It scars our children, it scars us, when we're known and then rejected. But the beautiful thing about Christianity and the gospel is that God shows us that he truly knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows the deepest, dark secrets of our hearts, and yet he still loves us. And so today, as we look at this passage, um, here's the main thing that we're gonna see is, is that the stain of sin marks us from our inside out. The stain of sin marks us from the inside out and that, that Jesus shows us that the only way for us to truly be clean on the inside is to be cleansed from the inside out. 
as opposed to the outside in. And the other main truth that I hope to communicate to you today is that Jesus is the only one without the stain of sin, yet he became sin for us so that we could be clean. And so here's how I want to look at the, tr- uh, the passage today. We're going to look at, uh, again, draw three points out of the text. Uh, first, we're going to look at twisting tradition in verses 1 through 5. Second, we're going to look at twisting truth in verses 6 through 13. And then we're going to look at turning inside, uh, verses 14 down through the end. Uh, the new scene, uh, we've been jumping around in Mark a little bit. We've kind of been picking out some different episodes to look at. Last week we were in chapter 4. This week we're in chapter 7. So some things have happened. Uh, but by and large what Jesus is doing is he's going through different regions of this area, uh, the Middle East, and he's showing who he is. He's showing his authority through healings and through, um, uh, through, through teaching and, and all of these different things. And, and today uh, we show up and, and this, is, this is the religious setting. Uh, the scene set in verse 1 when the Pharisees uh, show up, to, gathered around Jesus, and some of the scribes had gathered around Jesus. Now, this was no small task, you, uh, the, the, particularly the Pharisees. The Pharisees hung out in the holy city in Jerusalem. I mean, that, that was their hub of religious activity. And what we know about the text is we think that Jesus here is in Gennesaret. So it was a bit of a travel for them to get there. And so here we see the scribes, they were probably local, but the Pharisees had come all the way from Jerusalem in order to sniff out what Jesus was doing, in order to kind of, they were kind of these self-proclaimed heresy hunters, if you will. They had heard about this Jesus and his teaching, and they went out of their way to approach uh, him and his teachings uh, that he was showing his followers. And, and listen, what we're going to see here, and I know, I know who you're like this, you're like me, is um, we love to make up rules, and that was no exception here. What we're going to see is Jesus was showing how religious people like to make up rules to follow. Um, we like to kind of, it's just, it's in our nature. We like to, to know that we're doing all right, and, and, and that was no exception here. Uh, if you look at the, the passage in, in verse uh, 2, uh, they actually point out, uh, Mark, the author of this uh, uh, gospel, points out what they were doing. They had noticed that the disciples, the, the group that was following Jesus, were eating with filthy hands. They, they had not done the ritual cleansing and purity that, that they had required. Now, know this. The text doesn't tell us this, but in the Old Testament law that the Jews would have been following, this was not prescribed. This was a man-made tradition. It was a man-made commandment that these Pharisees and these scribes had put on to other people. And so here they are noticing what Jesus' followers are doing, and they didn't go through this man-made tradition in order to come to the table. And so the the tradition, Mark gives us a little parenthetical statement beginning in verse 3, he kind of breaks it down for us, is basically when they would come to any meal, but particularly when they came from the marketplace, which would have been filled with Gentile pagans. So you've been in this Gentile pagan situation, and you're filthy, there was this, this you've, you've touched the unclean. So how could you come to a table having not been cleansed? And at the heart of the problem is not the desire to follow ritual or tradition or, or even to be pure when coming into worship. I mean, God had those requirements. If you know anything about the worship in Jerusalem, there was a, a very demanding process for the high priest to go in to worship God. It was very demanding. And so it's not that they had made up the entire tradition of purity, but they had added on to it. And 
when we add tradition onto what God says, what we're doing is we're actually revealing a lot about ourselves and we're revealing a lot about what we think about sin. Here's what, here's what they were, were doing. They had primarily believed that sin was outside of them. They had primarily believed that sin had to do with what they did or what they saw or what they touched. And Jesus, in the way of paradox, is going to show us the exact opposite, that it's not outside of us, that it's actually in us. That's the problem. And so here Jesus begins to show them that when twisting tradition happens, when God's ways are not good enough. So he's taking this idea that, that God's ways were not sufficient for them, and he addresses the religious people. Um, I mentioned this during the baptism, that we are a church who subscribes to a confession of faith. Um, I figured I'll just, just throw it all out there today. We love this confession of faith, but there, there's a chapter in our confession of faith. It's chapter 20, if you're concerned about it. But in chapter 20, uh, the, I think the title of the chapter is On Christian Liberty and the Freedom of Conscience. There is this, this so sweet, this sweet phrase, and it talks about how God alone is the Lord of the conscience, and he has left it free from the commandments and doctrines of men. So these early forefathers of our church have thought it wise to write a section on what it means to be free in Christ, and, and that section's addressing exactly what Jesus is addressing, that when we add the doctrines and commandments of men tradition, ritual, and put it to the status of what God has said, we are binding the conscience of other believers, and God has forbid that. So I know that you don't struggle. I mean, I know there's probably some germaphobes in here. I get it. We're in that culture that you have to wash your hands before, but usually you don't take it into the context of religious purity. You just pull out your hand sanitizer at the table and you just start squirting people. That's fine. That might be you, so that could apply. But, but there are other ways that we take tradition and we hold it up and we bind, people bind people's consciences. Let me tease out a couple of those. We take the tradition of church, right? We're all in church and there are things being said here that, that we do certain ways. And if you've been in church for any number of years, you know how you like your church, don't you? And when somebody's doing something that you don't like, you are going to let them know. And, you know, maybe we did that today. Maybe the pouring thing's not for you. You wanted the pool. But you know what? It's okay. God has not prescribed a particular thing that we must do. Now, if he has prescribed it, and certainly there are things he has prescribed, then we hold to those tightly. But anything that God has not prescribed expressly for us and we force that on another people in worship, whatever it be, styles, methods, whatever, we are binding the conscience of other people. Let's take it outside of the doors of church. How about when we uh, think about um, politics, right? We're in the political season, love it or hate it, we're in it. I'm thinking about getting off Facebook just because we're in it. But nonetheless, it's the political season, so it's on our minds, it's on our, in our thoughts. But maybe this is you, that, that you cannot fathom how a Christian could be affiliated with one party or the other. It just blows your mind. And I get that. That's fine if you're a party politics person. But when you begin to outstretch and go to binding people's consciences where God has not bound it, you are doing what God has forbidden. You're doing what Jesus is addressing here. You're putting tradition as a commandment and doctrine of men. One more, one more way, a couple more ways. Let me, let me tease it out. It's kind of getting warmed up now. Uh, 
parenting. We all love the way we parent, right? I'm the best parent in the room. Check out how I do it. So, you know, this whole nurture versus nature business, and if you're, if you're not a parent, you just, just don't check out, but yeah. Anyway, there's all kinds of, of styles of parenting. And when we go on our rants and raves about what is right and what is wrong, where God has not told us that, we are going beyond what God allows us to do. We're binding the conscience. Another one, lifestyle choices. You know, tattoos, the consumption of alcohol, um, you know, where you hang out, who you hang out with. All of that stuff goes beyond the bounds that God has established for us. We are free in Christ, not to do whatever we want, but we are not to bind the conscience of people. That is what's going on here. They're binding people's consciences, and Jesus will have none of it. That's what twisting tradition looks like. Let's secondly consider what twisting truth looks like, beginning in verse 6. Uh, if you're ever in a, a group of religious people, kind of like we are here, if you're in a setting like that and you want to get their attention, start quoting the Bible. Um, that's what Jesus did here, okay? So he knew that these men were very steeped in their religious tradition. They knew the scriptures well. They abided by them with meticulous, um, just tenacious uh, uh, ways. And so Jesus, what he does here is he quotes the Bible to them. It's, it's a fantastic move. He quotes a, a passage from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And then, of all places, he goes to the top 10, the 10 commandments, honor your father and your mother, right? I mean, if you're going to get the attention of a Jew, quote an Old Testament prophet, you quote the top 10 commandments, you pretty much have their attention, right? And so Jesus grabs their attention by quoting the scriptures. And, and here's how, I, I, there's a lot going on here, um, but I think it's a, a really simple way to boil it down. Here's, here's what Jesus does. In quoting Isaiah, he's basically teaching them that though they think they have good motives, their hearts are far from him. So he quotes that passage, it says, they honor me with their lips, and other, they, they say all these good things about rituals and purity and tradition and all that stuff, but their heart is missing the entire point. So he kind of grabs their attention by going there, but then he goes to a commandment, a law, something that we're supposed to be abiding by. He goes to the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Okay, so what he does there is he begins to bind them with the law in the way that the law was always intended. And the law was always intended to show both our love for God and our love for people. And what he's showing these religious type of people is that they were using God's word in a way it was never meant to be used. And that comes up with the issue of korban, okay? So korban, korban was simply an offering that someone would make to the temple in, in honor of God. And so it appears that what was taking place here, I'm just going to try to synthesize this for us. It appears that what people were doing was they were kind of earmarking their money. And they were saying, this money's for God. And in doing so, they were basically uh, unable to take care of their parents. So they were earmarking money in a way that they got to continue to use their money. So korban was just this kind of this future act of a, a gift that people could give. And they were doing that so that they could neglect the, the, the care of their parents. See what they're doing? They're kind of, it's kind of like speaking out of both mouths, like, oh, we're giving a gift to God. But really, it's for personal gain. And that's, that's what they were doing. They had found a loophole, so to speak, in God's system. They had found a way to abuse grace. They had found a way to abuse the system so that they could have personal gain. And so 
the, twisting the truth for personal gain cuts against the grain of God's purpose. The purpose that God gave the laws of honoring your parents and even of core bond, this idea of giving to the Lord, was not so that they could have personal gain, but so that they could have love for each other. And they were using it for the exact opposite reason. So here's how I want to kind of bring it to us today. Um, twisting truth happens when we think God's word is not enough. So twisting traditions happens when we think God's ways aren't enough. Now, we think, now this happens when we think God's word isn't good enough for us. Um, if you're here today and you've been, you've been in church or you're, you're a professing Christian walking with the Lord and you've, you're somewhat familiar with the Bible, you, mean, you, don't have, you, have, you don't have to read it, you know, cover to cover four times a year. You don't have to be that meticulous, but you generally know what it says. You generally know what, what God is teaching in it. And if you've been in that context for any number of times, any number of years or length of time, and you've never had a disagreement with God, there might be something wrong, okay? So in, in other words, if everything you believe agrees with what you think you've read in the Bible, you are probably not worshiping the God of the Bible, but a God created in your own mind, Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. There are things that God has said that are hard for us to embrace. And if you've never experienced those things, we can talk, we can kind of line up out, and I'll point a couple out to you that are difficult. But, but, but we, we can twist God's word to, to say what we think it says, right? Like, oh, it's kind of saying that, so that, that kind of goes with what I'm believing. And so we base everything that we believe really on, on what we believe, not on what God has said. Look, look here's, what, here's what was going on here is, is the, the actions of these religious people and, and our own actions uh, stem from what they believed, right? They, they believed that that's what God's word was teaching, but the reality was their beliefs didn't reflect God's word, it reflected their own imagination. And so how, how do we do that? How do we twist truth for personal gain? Well, we do it in, with our money. I mean, that's, that's what they were doing, and so that's an easy connection. We do it with our money, we think that, you know, you know we're, we're supposed to live generous lifestyles. I mean, God calls us to that. And, and we think we've convinced ourselves of what generosity look, looks like. But, but when, when is the last time you, you went out of your way, even sacrificially, to, to your own hurt in order to help somebody out financially? Honestly, when I was thinking about that, I couldn't think of the last time. Like, I give, you know, we, we give money and we support the work of the church, all that kind of stuff. But... When's the last time we gave in a way that was sacrificial? That, that's hard to do. We, we, we use money for our own personal gain. What about people and relationships? I mean, we have become just this well-oiled machine of success that we use people as a means to an end. Right? We don't see people the way Jesus saw people. We see people as, how can they help me? When's the last time you look someone pure and blameless in order to, for their betterment and not any personal agenda that you had. That one stings a little bit. How about our, how about our spirituality? We even, we even twist our, our spirituality, our church attendance, our whatever, our Bible studies, all those things we do, we twist them in order to make ourselves look pious and it builds up our ego. We feel good about ourselves. I mean, there's nothing wrong with feeling good when you leave church. It is, I'm glad you're here. Please don't hear me. Come back next week. It's good to be at church. It feels good. But when that is the primary reason that we do it, we're twisting truth in the way that God never intended us to do it. That's what they were doing. Finally and lastly, let's consider turning inside. Couldn't come up with a, another twisting. We're going to turn inside. 
Um, saw a movie this week. It's an old one. Um, I've, I've made this clearly known. Like, I will tell people about movies and how they end from up here all the time. So I usually, I do like a, if it's still in the theaters thing, I don't, I don't tell anybody about it. But if it's out of the theaters, it's fair game to be spoiled. So uh, uh, anyway, the, the movie was I Am Legend, uh, Will Smith movie. It's a good one. See some nods. It's a good one. It's, it's been a little while. It's been out for a while. But I Am Legend, it's a great movie. Um, it's about this, this uh, scientist, uh, and, and he was actually a soldier. They had found a cure for cancer. They reassembled uh, the measles virus and put it in people, and it was curing their cancer. Well, uh, the movie actually shows that the, the, the cure didn't really work. It actually killed 90%, like 90% of the people, and then the other 10% turned into these, these um, you know, nocturnal, mutants, kind of vampirish, violent things. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But it, it, really, it really transformed them in, in radically bad ways. And so the movie is about this, it appears that he's the lone survivor. There actually were more survivors. But Will Smith, the character, is living in New York City by himself and he wants to save humanity. He wants to cure these, they call them dark seekers in the movie. So he wants to cure these dark seekers. And the movie ends with this powerful scene. Um, let me see if any of you remember it, but uh, Will Smith is with a, a, a woman and a young boy. They're locked into this glass room in, in his laboratory, okay? And uh, he's been testing, so what he would do is he would capture a dark seeker, and then he would try to cure them. So he would, you know, secure them and then try to cure them, and it wasn't working. And so here they had this, this dark seeker in the room, and he had discovered the cure, and the cure was actually his own blood, it was within him the whole time. He had, he had put some in, into this, this dark seeker, and she was healed. And so the, the, the ending of this movie, he's in this glass encasement, thick glass, um, and this, this dark seeker had been cured, and there is a group of dark seekers that are trying to get in to attack him. And Will Smith clicks that he has found the cure for them. And as this, the, alpha, the alpha dark seeker, this, the, the leader of the group, is pounding against this glass, just trying to get at him, just in a, just a violent, violent graphic way. He's pounding at this glass, and Will Smith is screaming at the top of his lungs, let me save you. Like, let me save you. And it's powerful. And, and the dark seeker was having none of it. He didn't want to be saved. He, didn't, he wasn't hearing it. He wanted in that room. And Will Smith came to this conclusion that, that he could not save this man. Uh, but he had the cure for them. And the cure was in the most unexpected place. It was within himself. And so the only way that they were going to get out of this scenario with the cure was for him to die. And so he takes a vial of the blood, the cure, and he gives it to this woman and the child. And he puts them in a, in a coal chute behind the room where they're safe. And then he takes a grenade and he takes the pin out and he goes and he jumps through the glass and he, and he dies. And, and the dark seekers apparently died too. But in, in that act of salvation, uh, he, the, the cure was, was where he, he didn't think it would be. It was inside him the entire time. Here's the connection I, I want to make is we, we are the dark seekers in that story. We are the ones that need rescued, and we don't even know where that comes from, but there is the blood of another who can rescue us. And it wasn't just the, the blood that could you know, be just given to us, but, but the blood had to be shed. It had, he had to die in order for us to be saved. We're the dark seekers in the story. You see, the virus of sin is more like cancer than it is germs. You see, the people in this story, they think sin is a germ. 
They think sin is something that can be contracted from outside of you. But the, the, the story of the Bible is that the sin is in us. It's deeply in our core. If you've heard nothing else I say today, hear this. This is what Jesus is teaching us in verse 15. I'm just going to read it. Jesus says it better than I can. Verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So what is it that comes out of us? Well, Jesus gives us this, this list that is hard for us to hear. Talks about the way we have evil thoughts. Talks about our sexual ethics. Talks about the way we treat people in theft. We talks about our infidelity in marriages and relationships. It talks about all of these evil things. And he says, it's not from out there. It's in here. And so there's got to be a treatment for that. And listen, you are surrounded by potential options for treatment. Here are a few that the world tells us are options. This is the one that Jesus is addressing in its religion. Religion says that if you just do the right things, you stay away from the wrong things, that you'll be all right. That if you don't go with girls who chew, dance, uh, how's it go? That dance, chew, or or play cards or whatever, if you just stay away from things that are vulgar, you're going to be all right. That's religion. Uh, another option is, again, the political option. If you've been listening to any of these, um, these debates, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not a faithful follower, but I'm, I'm listening a little bit, everything about our world is, that's wrong with it is, is out there, right? It's our education system, it's our health care, it's, it's ISIS, it's all of that, if I ever hear a politician who says, now, now listen, those things are wrong. Don't get me wrong. They need fixed. But the main problem is not that. We are the main problem. And so until we have an option that tells us that we can be clean inside, that's how things change outside of us. I want to conclude with, with a verse, and then I want to, I want to bring us to Jesus uh, an Old Testament prophet spoke wisely, uh, and it really goes with the vein of what Jesus is teaching us here. Uh, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, says that though you wash yourself with lye and you use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me. So what is our hope? I, I think you know where I'm headed with this, but the hope is in uh, a cleansing blood outside of us that was within another. That, that Jesus offers us a cleansing that works from the inside out. Um, the only hope that we have is that we would look to his son, to God's son, Jesus Christ, by faith alone. It's the only hope. Religion will not save you. Politics will not save you. Your excellent parenting will not save you. But God offers us another one who can save us. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that uh, that God, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He was completely unstained. He didn't have the heart problem that we had. He made him sin to be sin for us so that in him we could be the righteousness of God. And so the cleansing that's offered to us is by faith in Jesus alone. That because he became unclean, we too can be clean. And in that, it changes us from the inside out. I pray that we would be a people that get that. 
I pray that we would be a people that sense our need for cleansing, that there would be that guilt and that shame that is in us because we have rebelled against God and that we would come to the cleansing fount found in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I, I can't get that tune of that song out of my head that um, before the throne of God, we have a high priest who ever lives and pleads for us that, that Jesus was the perfectly clean man and yet he died a disgusting death for us. The fact that he saw that was what was in my heart and he loved me still. It still blows, it blows our minds, God, that we can be truly known by you and yet are still truly loved. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that deep, deep into our hearts, that we would believe it and that it would change us. It would change us from the inside out, that it would, that it would have influence on the way that we do our lives, the way that we do our religion, that church is not just obligation or duty, it's joy and that, that parenting, though it be hard and l laboring, uh, that it is fruitful because we get to tell our children about Jesus and what he's done. And that our work and our hobbies, that everything would be influenced by this cleansing that you provide. So Lord, would you make that true of us today? Would you uh, show us our need for our Savior and help us to fall at his feet yet again? We pray these things in his matchless, powerful name. Amen.